This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea, this is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we are looking at the August 24th, August 31st uh, combined issue of the Weekly Standard, combined because um, uh, uh, this is that, that point at the end of August when uh, just about everybody is... Uh, taking a last-minute vacation or out of town or whatever, and we're no, we're no exception. But I, um, I chose this, uh, the, the um, uh, elements of this section were chosen with an eye to what people would like to read and savor over a two-week rather than a one-week period. And so we begin uh, with a piece by Thomas Swick, um, who is a um, uh, much-admired uh, travel writer who lives in Florida, uh, writes mostly about uh, places and uh, things, but um, this week he's reading um, a book entitled The Latest Readings by Clive James from Yale University Press. Clive James is an Australian-born, uh, uh, London-based writer um, who has been very much uh, um, what we might call a literary journalist for the past um, 30, 40, 50 years, um, who uh, sadly has a terminal illness, um, which has um, um, prompted him to write um, this book, which is in fact a series of essays about the things he's writing, uh, excuse me, that he's reading as his life is slowly coming to its close. I didn't have to be too more, but I don't know that much about his about his illness, but it's it's a it's it's terminal, but but not uh, immediately so. And so he has had this uh, sort of Damocles hanging over him for a while, and probably a certain amount of what he writes has to do with 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 that in mind. And this is a, a very charming collection of essays on the books and the writers um, that have meant the most to him in his lifetime. And like all such lists, it's it's to some degree uh, you can imagine what he uh, writes about, but in other cases it's it's a bit of a surprise, but but written with with charm and and wit and some insight. And of course Thomas Swick writes about all this uh, with equal wit and insight and charm, I might add. That is followed by a piece by uh, Justin Torres, who is a lawyer here in Washington, and it's of course a total change of pace from Clive James's uh, literary essays. This is a book from the University of Chicago Press called The Grasping Hand, Kilo versus City of New London and the Limits of Eminent Domain. Um, you will remember the Kilo case at the Supreme Court um, a decade ago in which the Supreme Court gave very wide latitude to 
um, municipalities, at least in this case, New London, um, for uh, eminent domain, that is to say, uh, words of one syllable, tearing down buildings to make way for um, other buildings. Historically, eminent domain was used when governments had to take property to build interstate highways or stadiums or bridges or something of that uh, nature, which were in effect public um, uh, expenditures, public investments, public property in that basis, uh, in that sense. Um, but Kilo was a different matter. It was it was houses that were being taken, um, that were in a you know less than uh, ideal neighborhood. Um, although not a not a uh, there are worse. I mean not the worst neighborhoods in the world, much less New London. Um, but the houses were being taken for commercial purposes. There was a developer who wanted to put in um, structures that that New London felt would, would increase the city's economic viability and so forth and so on, which is a step further than eminent domain had ever been used in the past, and it's one of the most controversial decisions um, the court has made in modern times. Um, and the book, The Grasping Hand, is, is an interesting description of the case and what has happened uh, since then, but as I say, it was it was one of these unprecedented incidents where, where the 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 taking of the property, as I say, was not for um, uh, uh, civic purposes, but for um, private economic uh, enterprise. In which case, the government now has the power to throw you out of your house and confiscate your property, obviously with some uh, compensation. Um, for reasons uh, having nothing to do with with um, uh, uh, local infrastructure. That is followed by a piece by James Bowman on a new book um, by Daisy Hay, an English writer uh, from Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, called Mr. and Mrs. Disraeli, A Strange Romance. Uh, Benjamin Disraeli, of course, is the great um, figure of um, English conservatism, one might say conservatism, of the 19th century. Um, most people think of his um, uh, stature in history as William Gladstone's uh, uh, sparring partner through several decades of English parliamentary life. But of course, Disraeli um, is an interesting figure in himself. Um, he was, of course, Jewish, although his father had him in the, in the manner of the early 19th century. His father, Isaac Disraeli, who was a man of letters uh, in England, had Benjamin um, baptized in childhood. Um, but, of course, he faced the, uh, uh, the, the expected prejudice against Jews in early, uh, early Victorian England in his, in his uh, private and uh, parliamentary life, and, of course, transcended them uh, magnificently over time, climbing, as he once put it, to the top of the greasy pole as prime minister. But one of the elements of his, of his tremendous ambition was that he married a a wealthy woman who was rather older than himself, and but it was one of those um, strategic marriages of history that might have been romantic, who can say, but um, uh, almost as interesting in its particulars as Disraeli's many political novels, which he wrote at the time. So it's a, an interesting book and an interesting piece about it by James Bowman. That is followed by a review by Tema Ehrenfeld, who often writes on science for these pages. And this book, not quite science, we might call it natural history to some degree, uh, entitled Lesser Beasts, A Snout-to-Tail History of the Humble Pig by 
Mark Essig, of, Essig of Basic, uh, published by Basic Books. Um, I am, like an increasing percentage of Americans, a great admirer of our friends, the pigs. Um, they're, we've, we've, we've been living with them for uh, several millennia. They're charming, intelligent, um, and um, highly sophisticated animals um, who, as the author makes clear, and as Tema Ehrenfeld relates, um, have really, um, uh, humans have done better by pigs than pigs have done better by humans. We have not treated them with the, uh, one might say, the humanity that they deserve, um, not least in the mere fact that their name is such an all-purpose epithet. So it's a, an interesting and insightful and to some degree revealing portrait of one of my favorite members of the animal kingdom. That is followed by a, a review by Jonathan Leaf of Milan Kundera's latest and probably last novel, The Festival of Insignificance, published by Harper. Uh, Kundera is, of course, the grand old man of, of Czech literature and a much admired, uh, internationally renowned um, novelist, best known, of course, for his novel of almost 50 years ago entitled The Joke about life under communist um, rule in Czechoslovakia in the 19th 50s and 60s, and Jonathan Leaf talks a little bit about Kundera's um, uh, reputation and career in the decades since. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, about Kundera I didn't know, and he makes the novel sound um, uh, well worth looking into. That is followed by a piece by John Breen on a book entitled Tinseltown, Murder, Morphine, and Madness at the Dawn of Hollywood by William J. Man, uh, John Breen usually writes about um, um, thrillers, murder mysteries for our pages, and so I thought this was the perfect title for him. Uh, there was a very famous murder case in early Hollywood of a rather handsome, dashing, and successful actor-director called William Desmond Taylor. The case itself is long forgotten, although well-remembered still in, in, in Hollywood, at least in certain, uh, shall we say, Hollywood historical circles. Um, Taylor was shot to death at his house in 1922, and um, although there are three, four, five, uh, there were three, four, five suspects at the time, and of course any number of suspects, since the crime was never solved, so it's one of those delightful whodunits that um, is really quite interesting um, to read about and tells us as much about the culture of early ho Hollywood as you could ask for. Um, when I lived in Los Angeles some years ago, um, I took it upon myself to often make weekend excursions to the site of some of these famous Hollywood crimes, and I do remember making a field trip to the house of William Desmond Taylor where the murder had taken place uh, 60, 70 years earlier, and of course uh, sensed as I was standing there that the people in the neighborhood probably had no idea that what had occurred there and how much it had captured the imagination of people even unto this day, although maybe they did, who knows. Uh, John Podhoritz does not have a movie review this week, but he has a um, very compelling essay about... Um, the extent to which, uh, he uses his opening idea, the opening of the musical Hamilton in New York, which has sort of galvanized the theater-going world in New York, but he makes the point that that doesn't happen so much anymore. We don't really greet the arrival of big plays, of big films, of big novels, uh, the way we did 
once upon a time. Um, we have active novelists today, but their latest uh, publications tend to come and go. It's hard to imagine uh, Time magazine putting a new um, novel by uh, wh whomever on their cover the way that would have happened um, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, 80 years ago. Um, and it's, it speaks to some degree to the decline of what we might call middle-brow culture in America. Um, but John has some interesting thoughts, as always, on the subject, which I know you will enjoy uh, reading. It's, it's a slightly depressing but instructive um, piece, and of course um, written with um, wit and erudition, rather like the rest of the section. Um, anyway, that is the Books and Arts section of the Weekly Standard for the uh, August 24th, August 31st issue. I thank you very much for listening to this podcast, and I look forward to talking to you a week from now.